She was just trying to do her due diligence. And she's like, I'm just trying to go to church. Right? My goodness. They're like, this is the church for the dead. Hey. Fuck out. <laughs> another episode of table talks where deeper conversations are something highly sought after but rarely explored and i have with me as always my lovely co-host Alyssa. hi pumpkins how are you good um how are you i am doing fantastic i'm about to read some scary stories so exciting and of course like we teased last episode this is a long-awaited asmr for scary stories and i'm bringing it back to our childhood with scary stories to tell in the dark Mm. if you guys ever read this as a kid you will know these were just like the absolute godsend of horror storybooks Mm. so before we get into that we have our emotion Emotion of of the the week which This week is scared. Scared means filled with fear, terror, or dread. Often suddenly frightened or alarmed. Mm, And I feel like a lot of these stories might make you scared. Or feeling a little bit of dread. Mm. All good words. Great words. All right. Are you ready to dive in? I'm ready. Are you? I am. Okay. So, scary story number one. We're going in on chapter four, Other Dangers. This one's named The Hook. (laughs) You're having so much fun. I fucking love it. (laughs) Okay. Donald and Sarah went to the movies. Then they went for a ride in Donald's car. They parked up the hill at the edge of town. From there, they could see the lights up and down the valley. Donald turned on the radio and found some music, but an announcer broke in with a news bulletin. A murderer had just escaped from the state prison. He was armed with a knife and was headed south on foot. His left hand was missing. In its place, he wore a hook. Let's roll up the windows and lock the doors, said Sarah. That's a good idea, said Donald. That prison isn't too far away, said Sarah. Maybe we really should go home. But it's only ten o'clock, said Donald. I don't care what time it is, she said. I want to go home. Look, Sarah, said Donald. He's not going to climb all the way up here. Why would he do that? Even if he did, all the doors are locked. How could he get in? What a gaslighter. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I was about to be like, wow, what the? What are you talking about? This is the beginning of the worst horror movie ever. <laughs> People in horror movies make bad decisions. Did you see that Geico commercial? (laughs) Oh my god, yeah. Donald, he could take that hook and break through a window and open a door, she said. I'm scared. I want to go home. Donald was annoyed. Girls are always afraid of something, he said. As he started the car, Sarah thought she heard someone or something scratching at her door. Did you hear that? She asked as they roared away. It sounded like somebody was trying to get in. Oh, sure, said Donald. Soon they got to her house. 
Would you like to come in and have some cocoa? She asked. No, he said. I've got to go home. He went around to the other side of the car to let her out. Hanging on the door handle was a hook. The end. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> How dramatic. I, as you're reading it, I was like, oh my god, this is the start of like one of the worst horror movies that could ever be. <laughs> that was a little like short for me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It was, was, it was perfect I was, for me as someone who doesn't enjoy horror stories. So. See, I was reading for, like, normal hook stories. They're like, and they do, oh, like, yeah. the little hook across. Next, we have the white satin evening gown. Ooh. Wedding scaries. Mm. A young man invited a young woman to a formal dance. She was very poor, and she could not afford to buy the evening gown she needed for such an occasion. Maybe you can rent a dress, her mother said. So we went to a pawn shop not far from where she lived. There she found a white satin evening gown in her size. She looked lovely in it, and she was able to rent it for very little. When she arrived at the dance with her friend, she was so attractive. Everyone wanted to meet her. She danced again and again and was having a wonderful time. But then she began to feel dizzy and faint, and she asked her friend to take her home. I think I have danced too much, she told him. When she got home, she lay down on her bed. The next morning, her mother found that her daughter had died. The doctor did not understand what had caused her death, so he had the coroner perform an autopsy. The coroner found that she had been poisoned by embalming fluid and it stopped her blood from flowing there were traces of the fluid on her on her dress he decided it had entered her skin where she perspired while she was dancing the pawnbroker said he bought the dress from an undertaker's helper it had been used in a funeral for another young woman and the helper had stolen it just before she was buried at the end that's the end wow that was a short what one. a way to die right i was like damn the embalming fluid the embalming fluid like okay so note to everyone do not buy a dress from a pawn shop noted okay our next story is high beams the girl driving the old blue sedan was a senior at the high school she lived on a farm about eight miles away and used the car to drive back and forth. She had driven into town that night to see a basketball game. Now she was on her way home. As she pulled away from the school, she noticed a red pickup truck follow her out of the parking lot. A few minutes later, the truck was still behind her. I guess we're going in the same direction, she thought. She began to watch the truck in her mirror. When she changed her speed, the driver of the truck changed his speed. When she passed a car, so did he. Mm. Then he turned on his high beams, flooding her car with light. He left them on for almost a minute. He probably wants to pass me, she thought, but she was becoming uneasy. Usually she drove home over a back road. Not too many people went that way. But when she turned onto that road, so did the truck. I've got to get away from him, she thought. 
and she began to drive faster. Then he turned on his high beams again. After a minute, he turned them off. Then he turned them on again and off again. He drove even faster, but the truck's driver stayed right behind her. Then he turned his high beams on again. Once more, her car was ablaze with light. What is he doing? She wondered. What does he want? Then he turned them off again, but a minute later he had them on again, and he left them on. At last, she pulled into her driveway, and the truck pulled in right behind her. She jumped from the car and ran to the house. Call the police! She screamed at her father. Out in the driveway, she could see the driver of the truck. He had a gun in his hand. When the police arrived, they started to arrest him, but he pointed to the girl's car. You don't want me, you want him. Crouched behind the driver's seat, there was a man with a knife. As the driver of the truck explained it, the man slipped into the girl's car just before she left the school. He saw it happen, but there was no way he could stop it. He thought about getting the police, but he was afraid to leave her, so he followed her car. Each time the man in the back seat reached up to overpower her, the driver of the truck turned on his high beams. The man then dropped down, afraid that someone might see. The end. What an interesting story. Oh my god, I'm terrified. <laughs> this is why you check your back seat before you get in. I learned that rule in zombie land. Always check your back seat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Our next scary story is the babysitter. It was nine o'clock in the evening. Everybody was sitting on the couch in front of the TV. There were Richard, Brian, Jenny, and Doreen, the babysitter. The telephone rang. Maybe it's your mother, said Doreen. She picked up the phone. Before she could say a word, a man laughed hysterically and hung up. Who was it? asked Richard. Some nut, said Doreen. What did I miss? At 9.30, the telephone rang again. Doreen answered it. It was the man who had called before. I'll be there soon, he said, and he laughed and hung up. <laughs> who was it? the children asked. Some crazy person, she said. About 10 o'clock, the phone rang again. Jenny got to it first. Hello, she said. It was the same man. One more hour, and he laughed and hung up. He said one more hour. What did he mean? asked Jenny. Don't worry, said Doreen. It's somebody fooling around. I'm scared, said Jenny. About 10.30, the phone rang again. When Doreen picked it up, the man said, Pretty soon now, and he laughed. Why are you doing this? Doreen screamed, and he hung up. Was it that guy again? asked Brian. Yes, said Doreen. I'm going to call the operator and complain. The operator told her to call back if it happened again, and she would try to trace the call. At 11 o'clock, the telephone rang again. Doreen answered it. Very soon now, the man said, and he laughed and hung up. Doreen called the operator. Almost at once, she called back. That person is calling from a telephone upstairs, she said. You better leave. I'll get the police. Just then, 
A door upstairs opened. A man they had never seen before started down the stairs toward them. As they ran from the house, he was smiling in a very strange way. A few minutes later, the police found him there and arrested him. The end. Ta-da! Can you imagine? No. Like what? Upstairs? That's like my worst nightmare. Right? This next story is called The Guests. A young man and his wife were on a trip to visit his mother. Usually they arrived in time for supper, but they had gotten a late start, and now it was getting dark. So they decided to look for a place to stay overnight and go in the morning. Just off the road, they saw a small house in the woods. Maybe they rent rooms, the wife said, so they stopped to ask. An elderly man and woman came to the door. They said they didn't rent rooms, they said, but they would be glad to have them stay overnight as their guests. They had plenty of room and they would enjoy the company. The old woman made coffee and brought out some cake, and the four of them talked for a while. Then the young couple were taken to their rooms. They again explained that they wanted to pay for this, but the old man said that he would not accept any money. The young couple got up early the next morning before their host had awakened. On a table near the front door, they left an envelope with some money in it for the room. Then they went on to the next town. They stopped in a restaurant and had breakfast. When they told the owner where they had stayed, he was shocked. This, that can't be, he said. That house burned to the ground, and the man and woman who lived there died in the fire. The young couple could not believe it, so they went back to the house. Only now, there was no house. All they found was a burnt-out shell. They stood staring at the ruins, trying to understand what had happened. Then the woman screamed. In the rubble was a badly burned table, like the one that they had seen by the front door. On the table was the envelope that they had left this morning. The end. I have goosebumps. I'm not scared yet, though. No, I just have goosebumps. So our next story is Something Was Wrong. Dun, dun, dun. One morning, John Sullivan found himself walking along a street downtown. He could not explain what he was doing there, or how he got there, or where he had been earlier. He didn't even know what time it was. He saw a woman walking toward him and stopped her. I'm afraid I forgot my watch, he said and smiled. Can you tell me the time? When she saw him, she screamed and ran. Then John Sullivan noticed that other people were afraid. When they saw him coming, they flattened themselves against a building or ran across the street to stay out of his way. There must be something wrong with me, John Sullivan thought. I'd better go home. He hailed a taxi, but the driver took one look at him and sped away. John Sullivan did not understand what was going on, and it scared him. Maybe somebody at home can come and get me, he thought. He found a telephone and called his wife. 
but a voice he did not recognize answered. Is Mrs. Sullivan there? He asked. No, she is at a funeral, the voice said. Mr. Sullivan was killed yesterday in an accident downtown. The end. Dang. What a way to find out you're dead. Right? Okay. This next story is called The Wreck. Fred and Jean went to the same high school, but they met for the first time at the Christmas dance. Fred had come by himself, and so had Jean. Soon Fred decided that Jean was one of the nicest girls he'd ever met. They danced together most of the evening. At eleven o'clock, Jean said, I have to leave now. Can you give me a ride? Sure, he said. I've got to go home, too. I accidentally drove my car into a tree on the way over here, Jean said. I guess I wasn't paying attention. Foreshadowing. <laughs> For sure. Fred drove her to the head of Brady Road. It was in the neighborhood he didn't know very well. Why don't you drop me off here, Jean said. The road up ahead is in really bad condition. I can walk from here. Fred stopped the car and held out some tinsel. Have some. I got it at the dance. Thank you, she said. I'll put it in my hair. And she did. Would you like to go out sometime? To a movie or something? Fred asked. That would be fun, Jean said. After Fred drove off, he realized that he didn't know Jean's last name or her telephone number. I'll go back, he thought. The road can't be that bad. He drove slowly down Brady Road through a thick woods, but there wasn't a sign of Jean. As he came around the curve, he saw the wreckage of a car ahead. It had crashed into a tree and had caught fire. Smoke was still rising from it. As Fred made his way to the car, he could see someone trapped inside, crushed against the steering column. It was Jean. In her hair was the Christmas tinsel he had given her the end. That one's so sad. Very. I feel like a lot of these are sad. I'm not sure if I'd say that they're scary. No. But it's interesting to see because I remember them being so scary when I was in like middle school, which these books are childhood. They're aged like 7 to 11 mm -hmm. years old. So I was so curious to see how an adult they're actually as scary as I remember. Yeah. They're sad. A lot of them are really sad. They're much shorter than I remember, too. Same. Um, our next story is One Sunday Morning. Ida always went to the 7 o'clock Sunday morning service at her church. Usually, she heard the clanging of the church bells while she was eating breakfast. But this morning, she heard them while she was still in bed. That means I'm late, she thought. Ida jumped out of bed, quickly dressed, and left without eating, or looking at the clock. It was still dark outside, but it usually was dark at this time of year. Ida was the only one on the street. The only sounds she heard were the clatter of her shoes on the pavement. Everybody must be in church, she thought. Ida took a shortcut through the cemetery. 
and she quietly slipped into the church and found a seat. The service had already begun. When she caught her breath, Ida looked around. The church was filled with people she had never seen before, but the woman next to her did look familiar. Ida smiled at her. It's Josephine Kerr, she thought, but she's dead. She died a month ago. Suddenly, Ida felt uneasy. She looked around again. As her eyes began to adjust to the dim light, Ida saw some skeletons in suits and dresses. This is a service for the dead, Ida thought. Everybody here is dead, except me. Ida noticed that some of them were staring at her. They looked angry, as if she had no business there. Josephine Kerr leaned toward her and whispered, Leave right after the benediction if you care for your life. When the service came to an end, the minister gave his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you, he said. The Lord makes his face to shine upon. Ida grabbed her coat and walked quickly when she heard footsteps behind her, she glanced back. Several of the dead were coming toward her. Others were getting up to join them. The Lord lift up his countenance to you, the minister went on. Ida was so frightened she began to run. Out the door she ran, with a pack of shrieking ghosts at her heels. Get out, one of them screamed. Another shouted, you don't belong here, and ripped her coat away. As Ida ran through the cemetery. A third grabbed the hat from her head. Don't come back, it screamed and shook its arm at her. By the time Ida reached the street, the sun was rising and the dead had disappeared. Did this really happen? Ida asked herself, or have I been dreaming? That afternoon, one of Ida's friends brought over her coat and hat, or what was left of them. They had been found in the cemetery, torn to shreds. The end. Those are some angry people. Right. She was just trying to do her due diligence. And she's like, I'm just trying to go to church. Right? My goodness. They're like, this is the church for the dead. Hey. Fuck out. <laughs> they were very angry. Okay. This next story, a weird blue light. Late one night in October 1864, a Confederate blockade runner slipped by some Union gunboats at the entrance to Galveston Bay in Texas, made it safely to port with its cargo of food and other necessities. Lewis Billings, the master of the small vessel, was getting ready to weigh anchor when he was startled by a shriek of, from one of the crew. A strange, old-fashioned schooner with a big black flag was rushing down at us, Billings said later. She was a fire with a... She was a fire with a sort of weird pale blue light that lighted up every nook and cranny of her. The crew was pulling at the ropes and doing other work, and they paid us no attention, didn't even glance our way. They all had ghastly, bleeding wounds, but their faces and eyes were those of dead men. The man who had shrieked had fallen to his knees, his teeth chattering as he gasped out a prayer. 
overcoming my own terror that was chilling the very marrow of my bones, I rushed forward, shouting to the others as I ran. Suddenly, the schooner vanished before my eyes. Some say it was the ghost of Jean Lafitte's pirate ship Pride that sank off Galveston Island in 1821 or 1822. She was seen again in 1892 in the same waters with the same crew. The end. Okay, I got my flashlight. Let's tell more scary stories. Okay, our next story. Somebody fell from the loft. I had signed on as an ordinary seaman on the falls of Ettrick, a merchant ship bound for England. The first time I saw that ship, I knew her right away. She was the old Gertrude Spurshoe. I had sailed on her years before when she was painted brown and gold. Now she was painted black and had a new name but it was the same ship for sure. We had a pretty good crew from that voyage, except for one hard-looking ticket named McLaren. He was a pretty good seaman, but there was something about him that I didn't trust. He was kind of secretive, kept mostly to himself. One day, somebody told him that I had worked on the old Gertrude. For some reason, he got all a tremble over that. Then I catched him giving me all of these ugly black looks, as if he was itching to knife me in the back. I guessed it had something to do with the Gertrude, but I didn't know what. Well, this one day, we was trying to work our way through a dripping black fog. You'd scarcely know we had all the lights on, and it was dead calm. There wasn't a breath of fresh air. The ship just lay there, wallowing in a trough, a rolling and a rolling, going nowhere. I was standing my watch around midships, and McLaren was doing his trick at the wheel. The rest of the crew was scattered around one place and another. It was as quiet as could be. Then, all at once, Wacko! This thing hits the deck right in front of McLaren. He lets go a screech that turns my blood cold, and he falls down in a faint. The second mate starts yelling that somebody has fallen from aloft, laying out there just forward of the wheel with someone or something dressed in oilskins, with blood oozing out from underneath. The captain ran and fetched a big light from his cabin so we could see who it was. He was a big, ugly-looking devil. But nobody knew who he was or what he was doing up there. At least nobody was saying. When McLaren came to from his faint, they tried to get something out of him. All he did was jabber away and keep rolling those big, wild-looking eyes of his. Everybody was getting more and more excited. We all wanted to heave the body overboard as quick as we could. There was something weird about it, as if it wasn't real. But the captain wasn't so sure about getting rid of it that way. Could it be a stowaway, he asked. But the ship was so filled with lumber we were carrying. There was no space where a living thing could hide for three weeks, which is how long we had been out there. Even if it was a stowaway, what was it doing aloft on such a dirty day? 
There was no reason for anyone to be up there. There wasn't nothing to see. Finally, the captain gave up, told us to heave him overboard. Then nobody would touch him. Mate ordered us to pick him up, but nobody made a move. Then he tried coaxing, but that didn't do any good. Suddenly, the loony McLaren starts yelling, I handled him once, and I can handle him again. He picks up the body and staggers over to the rail with, with it. He is just about to throw it overboard when it wraps his two big, long arms around him. And over they go together. Then, <laughs> then on the way down, one of them starts laughing in a horrible way. The mates are yelling to launch a boat, but nobody would get into a boat. Not on a night like that. We threw a couple of life preservers out after them, but everybody knew they wouldn't help. So that was that. Or was it? The first chance I had to go home after that, I went right over to see old Captain Spurshoe, who was the captain when the Gertrude was around. Well, he says... One trip these two outlandish men shipped aboard the Gertrude. One was McLaren, the other was a really big fella. The big one was always picking on McLaren, thumping him around. And McLaren was always talking about how he would get back at him. Well, this wet, dirty night, the two of them was up there alone, and the big one come flying down. Killed himself, deader in a heron. The end. He was bushed. He was bushed. Conspiracy theory. <laughs> okay, y'all, I think we have time for one more. For our final selection today, the drum. Once there was two sisters. Dolores was seven and Sandra was five. They lived in a small house in the country with their mother and their baby brother, Arthur. Their father was a seaman and was away on a long voyage. One day, Dolores and Sandra were running across a field near their house when they met a gypsy girl playing a drum. Her family was camping in the field for a few days. As the girl played, a little mechanical man and woman came out of the drum and danced. Dolores and Sandra had never seen such a drum and they begged the girl to give it to them. She looked at them and laughed. <laughs> I will give it to you, she said, but only if you're really bad. Come back tomorrow and tell me how bad you were and I will see. As the two sisters got home, they started shouting, which was against the rules in their house. Then they wrote all over the walls with their crayons. At supper, they spilled their food and when it was time for bed, they wouldn't go. They did everything they could of to upset their mother. They were really bad. Early the next morning, they hurried off to find the gypsy girl. We were really bad yesterday, they told her, so please give us the drum. But when they told her what they had done, the gypsy girl laughed. <laughs> you must be much worse than that if I'm going to give you the drum, she said. As soon as Dolores and Sandra got home, they pulled up all the flowers in the garden. Then they let the pig out and chased it away. They tore their clothes. They sloshed in the mud. They were a lot worse than the day before. 
If you do not stop, their mother said, I will go away and take Arthur with me, and you will get a new mother with glass eyes and a wooden tail. That scared Dolores and Sandra. They loved their mother, and they loved Arthur. They could not imagine being without them, and they began to cry. I don't want to leave you, their mother said, but unless you change your behavior, I will have to leave. We'll be good, the girls promised, yet they did not really believe that their mother would go away. She is just trying to scare us, Dolores said later. We'll get the drum tomorrow, said Sandra, then we'll be good again. Early next morning, they rushed off to find the gypsy girl. When they found her, she was playing with the drum again, and the little man and woman were dancing. They told the gypsy girl how bad they had been the day before. That must be bad enough to get the drum, they said. Oh no, said the gypsy girl. You must be much worse than that. But we promised our mother to be good from now on, said the girls. If you really want the drum, said the gypsy girl, you must be much worse. It's only for one more day, Dolores said, told Sandra. Then we will have the drum. I hope you're right, Sandra said. As soon as they got home, they beat the dog with a stick. They broke the dishes, they tore their clothes to pieces, they spanked their baby brother Arthur. Their mother began to cry. You are not keeping your promise, she said. We will be good, said Dolores. We promise, said Sandra. I can't wait much longer, said their mother. Please try. Early the next morning, before their mother was awake, Dolores and Sandra ran to the gypsy girl. They told her all about the bad things they had done the day before. We were horrid, said Sandra. We were worse than we've ever been, said Dolores. Can we please have the drum now? No, said the gypsy girl. I never meant to give it to you. It was just a game that we were playing. I thought you knew that. Dolores and Sandra began to cry. They rushed home as quickly as they could, but their mother and Arthur were gone. They're out shopping, said Dolores. They'll be back soon. But they were still not back when time for lunch came. Dolores and Sandra felt lonely and scared. They wandered through the fields the rest of the day. Maybe they will be home when they, we get back, said Dolores. When they got home, they saw through the window that the lamps were lit and there were, was a fire in the fireplace, but they did not see their mother and Arthur. Instead, there was their new mother, her eyes glistening, her wooden tail thumping on the floor. The End Other mother. Okay, y'all. What did you think? Were they scary enough? Joss, what do you think? Were they scary? I remember them being much scarier, which is why I never wanted to read them when I was a kid. My cousins used to love these books, and I just was like not about them because I didn't like scary things. But now that I'm older, I realize they're not as scary as they used to be. No, I think that the drawings and the cover art are a lot scarier than what I remember them being. I remember them being so scary and so good and longer. Much longer. So, 
I guess I'll be reading the rest of the books because I have one, two, and three. Okay. You can thank Alvin Schwartz for these lovely tales. Mention any scary stories you want to hear for next year in the comments. Follow, rate, like, and subscribe. You can follow us on TikTok and Instagram at tabletalks.podcast.